Hey, it's Greg Brady. Welcome once again to the Bill Kelly Show podcast, June 19th. It is Friday. A lot to get to today. An opening comment out of the gate for myself on the horrific tragedy that happened in Brampton with the death of three young girls and their mother, all leading into Father's Day weekend, all leading into a father and husband left alone forever because of this heartbreaking moment and this act of reckless callousness by the 20-year-old driver. You'll want to listen. We'll talk to Sam Hammond, president of the Elementary Teachers Federation. School coming in September. We're not sure what it's going to look like. We're not sure if kids will be there. So how do we reopen the schools safely? What do we provide for the teachers? What about the science and the data of it all? And what about the Sick Kids Report? Alan Cross, interesting stuff from Live Nation. The concert promoter is going to decrease payments and shift the burden of the cancellations to the music artist. And Rick Zamperin will join us. You know him. You love him from 900 CHML. We'll talk about the CFL and how there's been some mixed messaging, how there's been some miscommunication, and how they probably can't get back on the field again until there are fans in the stadium. It's all coming up on the Bill Kelly Podcast right here. Enjoy. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. You're ready for today. There will be patios today. There will be haircuts today. Much needed haircuts. Um, you know, I've seen some of your uh, your Twitter photos of new followers at Greg Brady T. I've I've seen. I don't know why you would put up a picture of your. Oh, that's how your hair is all the time. I'm. You know what? I wanted to get off to a good start. I didn't mean to be casually uh, insulting. I'm sorry. I take it back. Uh, my name's Greg Brady. For now, Bill Kelly is off today. He's been off the previous four days, so we've gotten used to each other. It is Friday. It's a gorgeous day. Stage two in Hamilton and many other areas. Our friends in London and and in you know Guelph and Kitchener got to experience it last week. They are still waiting in Toronto, Windsor, Essex, uh, and Peel. We have a ton to get to today. Let me first say, because um, there's something I really want you to, you know, Grip the steering wheel if you're driving or, you know, dig your nails into the chair because uh, it's going to be it's going to be important. OK, I'm trying to be important. I'm trying to be interesting. I'm trying to give you again. There's a million stories you could do. We could do 30 minutes on um, the two Canadians in China. That's a very worrisome scenario. By the way, amazing. The, the Chinese government and the Chinese prosecutors amazingly found evidence in the same 24-hour period to charge the two Canadians with totally different crimes. What a coincidence. That's remarkable. That's kismet, if you will, right? To be, how's that possible? You know, uh, let's, you know, we got them both. We figured it out. We figured out the charges. It's been 19 months, but we did it. Oh, yo, oh, you got, you got guy A charged? You got the one Michael charged? I, I, I figured out the charges for the other Michael. It works. But, but um, some of you expected to hear Doug Ford at this time. Uh, I mentioned it on Twitter last night that he'd be on at 9.05. Uh, overnight, um, Doug Ford's people let us know that he was not available for this. Now, there's a big education announcement coming at 1 o'clock today. So there's a lot that you'll learn about what is planned for education. There is growing controversy for those of us, and I was one. I, I'm not always this quick but I was in this case who kind of sniffed at that sick kids report a couple days ago and thought something's a little not right about this. They were, you know, uh, pediatricians were like, let's go. Kids got to get back to school. The, the, you know, the 
the, the COVID is not as bad a scenario as leaving kids at home. And listen, I get it. The online learning's been difficult. Um, my my kid still is getting assignments, and I'm not in my grade six. And I'm not saying that he shouldn't. It's only June 19th. You know what those last five days were like when you were in grade six. You can, your teacher wants to, is to, will take you outside. You'll come in from afternoon lunch recess, and you'll go immediately back outside to play baseball or play you know frisbee or whatever. Okay, um, so I'm not going to tell you that there's an easy solution here to education at this time of the year, but there's a lot of people lining up to say there's something there's something the alignment of that report and the fact that Doug Ford has basically said, well, there's the expert guidance. We're going to rely upon that report. We'll listen to those people. There's a lot of other epidemiologists. There's a lot of other pediatricians saying there's a lot wrong about the sick kids report. Okay, doctors can disagree with doctors. If we've learned anything over the last four months, I've known people in the medical field who have, you know, gotten something wrong. I've known nurses who've said, hey, you know what will help the COVID if you drink a lot of water after? No, 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 no. That was a myth that was basically debunked and destroyed in mid-April or so. So we're going to get to that today, but the premier pulled out of uh, coming on. I'm not going to, I'm not going to castigate him for that or carve him for that. I'm just telling you, he committed to come on the show. He's not coming on the show for right now. We'll try and get him sometime next week. I'm not going to suggest for a second that they aren't incredibly busy, but he was booked. Now he's unbooked. There's also, as uh, Paul Tibble just mentioned, a report to reduce um, that the Ford government will reduce statutory holidays for frontline retail workers. I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt to the premier and his people that getting questions about that from me or from you is not why he's not making an appearance uh, for the time being. But I'll also leave that out there for you to decide. Retailers, uh, people who work on the front lines are going to get their stat holidays cut from nine to three. The province is going to cut those stat holidays for retail workers. And yeah, that's you could work at the Gap or uh, Mark's. Previously known as Mark's Work Warehouse, MWW, if you like acronyms, um, as well as grocery stores, as well as the important places that have been open where people literally have risked their lives from the beginning to make certain that you can get what you need from mid-March on when we started to close things up. But I have to start today with this. Father's Day is Sunday, and I know how this goes. Father's Day and Mother's Day um, can be really, really wonderful days if you're a father. I, I'm not going to tell you that if you don't have kids that it's, uh, you know, you can relate to your own father or your own mother when Mother's Day and Father's Day roll around every year. Um, I'm not going to tell you that you don't have a sense of your own mortality, but I will just t- share my experience is that becoming a father in 2006 and even in the months leading up to that, when um, when you're pregnant, I mean, I did some of the work. Let's be fair. Um, pretty virile guy, to be perfectly honest. I, I'm, I'm only I, I'm just telling you, you know, um, snap of the finger. Boom. Got a baby coming. I, I you know, you, you, you get what you get. Right. So either way, Father's Day is a special day for a lot of people. I also get that it's very, very bittersweet. OK, if you've lost your dad, uh, I still have mine. Uh, my wife still has hers, but we see, you know, w- w- we're on the back nine. Clearly, my dad is 76 years old. He's wonderful. I call him up. Uh, I love talking to him. I love spending time with him. And it's been limited, obviously, these last four months. So Mother's Day was a big deal um, a little while ago. Father's Day is a big deal Sunday. 
there was a, for as much as we've been shaken by COVID-19, as much as we've been stirred, if you will, by the last four weeks of realizing that we want to give equal opportunity. We haven't been doing a good enough job to give equal opportunity. I'll say this till I'm blue in the face. We can't provide equality for people. Systems don't work that way. And the people that have talent, have the IQ, work hard, they deserve what they get, okay? I wouldn't give anything back from what I've been given. I've earned, I feel I've earned every single opportunity, every single um, benefit that I've ever gotten. And sometimes when I've gotten, you know, I've risen up and sometimes when I've gotten kicked down, I get that's part of how it goes. There's wins in life and there's losses in life and you got to approach them all the same. But I was shaken to the core for as much tragedy as there's been the last four months. Okay, right? People losing their, uh, people not able to see each other. People stuck inside. People estranged from the people that they love. People losing um, grandparents and parents and uncles in long-term care homes. I'm not sure that anything ripped me like the car crash in Brampton yesterday. And you hear car crash in Brampton, they're leading with it. There are car crashes. People lose their lives in auto accidents. Um, I lost my grandfather very, what I would call prematurely, um, in the fall of 1980, late November. So coming into Christmas. So it reminded us of that for Christmas for a couple years. His brother-in-law was the driver. My grandfather was in the passenger seat. They made a late left turn in Birmingham, Michigan. This is before I lived in Michigan. But I know where this was now. And uh, and we lost my grandfather. My mom lost her father. Uh, she was, at that time, how old was I? Nine. My sister was six. My sister was four. And my grandfather was a massive support system to my mom and my dad. My parents are still married. It, it ripped us up. It ripped us up. He was 68. And you don't get to say goodbye. No one ever gets to pick how they get to go, usually. Okay? But... Not getting to do that when, you know, he was pretty vibrant at 68. And that was that, right? He Here one day, expecting to see them in a week or two, gone the next. We probably have all had relatives that that's happened to. So that was not easy. But also, not the tragedy that transpired yesterday. There was a two-car crash in Brampton. And four people are dead. And Father's Day will come this weekend for a father that no longer has his three children, who are daughters, all daughters, all girls. I have two boys. I don't have a girl. I would have loved to experience the, the being the father of a daughter. And this guy did. Six, four, one. Those are the ages. So when you lose a, a grandfather or a dad, and they're in their 60s, 70s, or 80s, No one likes it. No one wants it. But that person lived most of their life. That's the math involved. That's the logic involved. This man will have Father's Day come Sunday. And he lived yesterday. When he woke up yesterday morning, he lived in a house of five people. And now he lives in a house of one. He lost his wife, the mother of his three kids, six, four, and one. Why did that happen? Was this this man's fault? No, not in the least. They have charged a 20-year-old named Brady Robinson, his broken leg. And I wish that man did not have a broken leg. Certainly, absolutely. 
But he also had a prohibited license for multiple driving offenses. He was driving without a license. I will tell you that I have done that. I've had my license. I forgot to renew it. Um, went a few days. We've all had our, you know, the sticker plate on our insurance go. That's not what this is. That's not what this is. This 20-year-old had a prohibited license for multiple driving offenses, not just speeding. He switched the plates on his car, so he had a better chance of continuing to drive. Switched the plates. He knew what he was doing. There's things that I believe in. There's things that I don't. I don't believe in, in calling something like this an accident. I don't believe in second chances where they are not merited. And there's no second chance for this person. And I don't care if he's 20. And I don't care if he's 50. He's 20. And I don't care for the defense lawyer that will get hired. I understand defense lawyers have to work. Okay? Paul Bernardo had a defense lawyer. Jeffrey Dahmer had a defense lawyer. Son of Sam had a defense lawyer. I got it. Okay, there's always, there's someone's going to take every case. But I will not be able to tolerate this lawyer getting in front of microphones whenever this happens in the next week or month and talking about the mistaken judgment that this 20-year-old driver made. That there's a lot of life left and a lot of rehabilitation time left. And I know that drunk driving is a horrible crime. But why are we treating this any differently? You make a decision to switch the plates You make a decision to drive recklessly. You make a decision to become a threat to your community. And you make a decision to take all that, all that into consideration and risk the lives of everybody else on the road. Four of which, four of which you're in your community no longer have lives. They are girls, six, four, and one. They are the mother of those girls. They are the wife of that father of those girls. Who has nothing. He may someday be able to rebuild this shattered existence. And it's too early to talk about. But I'll say it. He may marry again. He may have more kids. But that'll never replace what he had. Nobody could possibly think that. And it makes me think of Marco Muzzo. Who had that accident. If you will. In 2015. And two kids were killed. Three kids I should say. A nine-year-old, a five-year-old, a two-year-old, and those kids' grandfather, 65. They took from a mom the three kids and her dad. And he is on day parole now because the board found he'd become more self-aware since the crash and unlikely to reoffend. What are we doing? What are we doing? Who are we here for? You know, we have a prime minister, we have candidates to take that prime minister's job, all talking last night, and they're talking about big picture things and important things. They are. I, I, no question about it in the CPC debate last night. When will we reckon with our justice system? When will we move forward and find a way to punish these crimes more significantly? You know, the state I lived in, Michigan. If you commit vehicular homicide in Michigan, here's what you get. 15 years in prison, no chance of parole. That's a reckless driving offense. That's the third highest charge you could get for something like this. 
Reckless driving resulting in the death of another person is a felony. And I will tell you, Michigan, which doesn't have the death penalty, does not have as stringent a justice system as some other states do. You'll get 15 years. You won't get a parole hearing. You won't. You don't, there's no parole board that's going to listen to how much you care and how much you've learned and how much you're unlikely to reoffend and how self-aware you are now. And this 20-year-old may get that opportunity. I'm warning you. You know this is happening. Why? Four or five years from now. He may not get it on the first try, but he's getting out. Sure as I'm talking to you, sure as you're listening to me, that guy that killed those three kids yesterday and the mother of those kids will be able to walk down the street in less than a half decade. You know it, and I know it. We got to do better than that. We got to do better than that. Vehicular manslaughter, which is a higher charge than reckless driving, is a felony, and you get 15 to 25 years in prison. and You don't get a parole hearing. And murder. A motorist who's convicted of second-degree murder is guilty of a felony and faces up to life in prison. We don't have that here. Why don't we? There's a dad that's waking up Sunday morning in an empty house. And that house is going to... No one's on vacation. No one had a fight. Okay? No one's, uh, no one's separating. He doesn't get his family back. For today's... Fa- this weekend's Father's Day, 2021's Father's Day, or 2022's Father's Day... But sure as we are having this discussion, that 20-year-old is walking out a free person when he's 25 or 26 with his whole life ahead of him. And we got to do better than that. I'm Greg Brady in for Bill Kelly today. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. So Tuesday, let me backtrack so you know where we're going to go with Sam. The Hospital for Sick Children, Sick Kids, phenomenal, phenomenal, right? If you've ever had somebody there for two days or two months, you know what good work they do. You, that's There's no debating that. But they put a report out that's a how like a guidance folder on schools reopening. And, of course, there's, there's physicians involved in that particular guidance. But there's been a number of doctors who've come out, and I'm no doctor, but there's a number of doctors who've come out and said, They've got concerns, like serious concerns about the document. It's been described as kind of lazy by some of the doctors involved and certainly by educators. There's assumptions in there that almost suggest, well, kids can't get COVID-19. And even if they do, the outcome of them getting it won't be as bad as them staying at home. Again, a lot to unpack there, okay? Um, there's going to be so many environmental and social factors, and we're ta- we're inventing, in introducing, I should say, a new contact tracing app. Those kids aren't going to have the app on those phones. You're not going to be able to figure it out. Schools have a tough enough time with something like head lice, okay? <laughs> they do. Imagine trying to track who brought COVID-19 to a school uh, in a grade two class. Teachers are concerned. Uh, principals are concerned. Parents are obviously concerned. None of this is ideal, but there's an awful lot of people worried that this report um, skirts the issue is the best way I can put it. There's okay. They're worried about kids who live in abusive homes. Yeah, so am I. But those kids are going to those homes after school as well. That's a totally separate issue. And there's a lot of I won't call it suspicion, but there's suggestion that the province, the Ministry of Education is Again, conspiring is is a 
is a big word and it sounds like a real negative word, but they are working hand in hand with sick kids and they're going to make an announcement today at one o'clock. And I bet you, I bet you the minister of education for what it's worth will reference the sick kids recommendation a lot. Hey, they're great at medicine. Fantastic. They're not experts in education. We wouldn't ask teachers to figure out how hospitals should work. So why are hospitals telling school boards and teachers and principals and educators how to run their classrooms in September? There's certainly better ways to do it, I think. Let's find out what our next guest thinks. He is, of course, uh, the uh, union head for the Elementary Teachers Federation, president of the ETFO and longtime teacher, Sam Hammond. Sam, it's Greg Brady. Thanks very much for uh, making the time to do this. Hi, Greg, and, and thanks for having me on. This must. This is a very nostalgic time. This is a time when uh, an, ed, an elementary teacher, is my recollection, June 19th, hot day, Friday. There'd be a lot of hard learning on a day like this, wouldn't there? I mean, you got to admit that. There'd be, there wouldn't be movies or outdoor softball. There'd be a lot of hard learning on a June 19th, 30 degrees, right? Yep, like every other day, absolutely. <laughs> All right, let's go to the Sick Kids Report. Um, I, I, I don't doubt they have some good intentions here, but like I said, a lot of doctors, a lot of epidemiologists say that there's a lot wrong. There's no masks, there's no PPE for teachers, there's a, not a lot of concrete suggestions and not a lot of practicality for people who know how a, a day of education like yourself would work. Yeah, um, uh, I agree, uh, Greg. I want to be really careful. You know, I'm not an infectious uh, expert or medical doctor, so the science of this I want to leave to the experts. And certainly some of those experts uh, are at uh, Sick Kids Hospital, who does amazing work. I think what's important uh, about their report is in their preamble, they're very clear uh, that, you know, these are guidelines, and that, and they acknowledge that, uh, they are not educators of elementary or sec- secondary uh, school children, and they appreciate the fact that there are numerous operational and logistic considerations that have to take place. So with that, I mean, I hope that what the ministry is going to do, uh, they've said that they're looking at a slow and cautious approach. I hope that they are, you know, watching what's unfolding here, and your points are absolutely right after the report came out. There have been numerous experts who have pushed back on that report. Uh, And I hope what the minister is going to do at the end of the day is take the advice of the chief medical officer uh, and take a very cautious approach. Yeah. Look, we cannot keep the schools closed forever. We we can't keep the schools closed for uh, another year or so. And we got to take precautions. I, I just found that the document involved didn't didn't set enough of those in concrete yeah. as to as to what there would be. And also, they suggest that there's a there's no evidence that a face mask will help, you know, the, prevent the transmission in kids. I don't know that we can send every kid with a face mask on. We certainly can't send the really young kids with a face mask mask on. But I think we can for high school kids. I think we can for college kids also. Yeah, and, and I, I would agree with you. Uh, you know, you look at what's happening now, and we'll see where this uh, goes uh, July, August, and uh, into early September. Uh, in terms of, you know, what experts are now saying around face masks, who should be wearing them, uh, and, and, you know, if, if we were opening schools tomorrow, I'd be advocating uh, for face masks uh, for everyone. 
uh, and and probably will be in September. But the final decision on that personal protective equipment for students is in the hands of the ministry, uh, and we're advocating that you know our our members should be have access to and the ministry pay for personal professional uh, uh, equipment if we're going to take a cautious uh, uh, and uh, uh, safe approach to reopening. Sam Hammond, our guest president of the Elementary Teachers Federation, joining us on the Bill Kelly Show. My name is Greg Brady. That's exactly where I was going. What do you know about what the province has laid out? Um, if if they try and order, you never you never know. If they try and order stuff in August, it may not be there in time for for Labor Day, depending on the volume that's involved. Um, like we got to move quickly, right? We're, we if we want schools open in ten weeks, we have to make sure our teachers are protected. Yeah, uh, uh, absolutely. We need to be acting today. We should have been acting a couple of weeks ago, quite frankly, Mm -hmm. because not all schools open uh, first day after Labor Day. Uh, We have uh, year-round schools that, and and other parts of the uh, here in southwestern Ontario uh, and other parts of the province that will open the second week of of August. Uh, uh, So all of those things need to be taken into consideration, and we're anxiously awaiting. Uh, to see what the ministry uh, minister's announcement will be this afternoon. How how prepared do you think the average the average teacher is trying to finish this year? Report cards, uh, and then like we're all gonna you know breathe basically in two weeks. Parents that have been educating at home, educators that have been teaching from home. How prepared is the average teacher for what well, I guess what we call um, a new reality and a different classroom in September? Uh, I, I, you know, our members uh, and parents, I will say, in this province have done an amazing job, uh, given that almost overnight they had to switch to a, a you know, a, a remote emergency learning situation. Uh, and now going back into opening schools in September is going to be a whole other uh, reality that none of us have faced before. Uh, I don't think uh, at this point, uh, that our members and parents are prepared uh, for what that's going to look like. I don't think any of us are, but we need to get our heads around it and work collaboratively together to ensure um, that we do the right thing. We need to be watching what's happening in other uh, provinces uh, as as they reopen schools and taking note of you know the concerns and, and the problems that they've had and ensuring that we uh, uh, don't fall uh, go down that same road. Last thing, Sam, I, I know eight months ago, um, things were uh, contentious and, and maybe rightly so between you know, many teachers unions, including yours and the province. A lot has changed. You got an agreement done in March that moves forward. Um, how would you describe the relationship between the Ministry of Education, the minister himself um, and teachers unions and teachers now? Well, uh, let me say this. I I wish we had uh, more of an ongoing uh, uh, interaction with, uh, communication with uh, the ministry and the ministry staff. Uh, They have. We have over the last little while had three working groups uh, working with the ministry. Uh, But, you know, what I said to the minister before March break was we needed to put all of that aside uh, and, and we have at this end, and I think the minister has, uh, to ensure uh, that everything that we were doing during, uh, you know, the la- over the last few months and into September that we're doing together on behalf of students, uh, our members and families in the province. 
Sam, thank you very much for the time uh, and appreciate your candor. Enjoy the weekend, and uh, I know you'll be watching it one, and I know uh, your teachers will be uh, doing everything they can to finish out the school year strong for their kids and getting ready for uh, what's going to be a very strange but important uh, fall. Thanks again for the time. Oh, thanks, Greg. Got it. Sam Hammond uh, from the ETFO. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Big music news about Live Nation. Uh, We want to bring in nobody better to talk about this musicologist. You can hear him uh, on the edge. Uh, 102.1 tonight, 6 o'clock, 7. But, of course, the ongoing history of new music. Never miss it. Sundays at 7 o'clock. He is Alan Cross. Alan, it's amazing. The live music industry, um, you, we're probably birds of a feather. A lot of our listeners are where you love going to gigs, but you especially love the outdoor gigs. Everybody remembers their first concert or two. But that first time you go into an amphitheater when the rotating stage at Ontario Place or when they made it Molson Amphitheater in the mid-'90s, I, I can't even put into words how much I miss being outside for a show, and you're probably the same. Yeah, I'm missing all shows. <laughs> and it's going to be quite some time before we get back into the swing of things normally. We may see some of these drive-in shows mm-hmm. which seem to be picking up steam across not only North America, but also in Europe and, and uh, the U.K. But other than that, we uh, we probably won't see the return of concerts until sometime next year and even then you have to worry about what it's going to be like rubbing up against sweaty strangers and clubs are going to have to worry about things like you know sanitizing all the areas making sure people are separated as they go in uh smoking areas bathroom service areas all that kind of stuff it's going to be a real hassle and a real challenge to make venues safe and then you have to convince people that it is safe yeah come on by i mean yeah whoever's going to the the, the rally in tulsa tonight is like you know good luck good luck (laughs) (laughs) and uh and we know the demographics change on many of the artists the artists that you know people that might go to a a drake concert might be a little younger than to see you know another elton john show in his three-year retirement tour unless he uh picks back up again so the demographics of those shows people are going to be worried about their parents and grandparents going to shows aren't they well not only the parents and grandparents but the people on stage i mean (laughs) some of of the biggest um touring acts right now are people in their upper 60s and in their in their 70s would you want to subject your body at that age to you know being in a in a in an enclosed environment and i you know outside's a little bit safer than being inside because of the ventilation but Still, would you want to subject yourself to the risk of being infected? Absolutely I know. It, not. It's literally like a baseball disabled list because, like, Ozzy's been trying to get back out there and he's had problems. Uh, Bob Seeger, right, is back. He's 75 and still tries to play two and a half hours on, on this, what was deemed uh, his last tour, and he had to miss shows. So, yeah, you nailed it. There's, uh, it. It's amazing, right? Who You know, Pete Townsend writes, Hope I die before I get old. And we thought they were out. We thought the Who was old going out when they were 42, 43. We, we, were, we, didn't, have the, we didn't have the right uh, age group at that point in time. No, Paul McCartney's in his upper 70s, and he's still playing. <laughs> and the last thing that we want to see is all our rock stars, all our, 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 our heroes uh, die of a virus because they have to be on the road. So this Live Nation news, I want to know what your read on it is. I, I'm going to just update it for the people. Live Nation is basically changing a lot of the monetary guarantees that artists would get. If you want to book an artist, artist says, yeah, that's great money up front. But Live Nation, the biggest concert promoter in the world, is basically telling artists, we're going to give you 25%. They've got to pay most acts 100% up front. 
that's that's really again everybody's had to make cuts everybody's had to modify but that jarred a lot of people in the music industry didn't it yeah a lot of artists and managers are not really happy with this so artist guarantees that here that that guaranteed amount of money that you will pay, get paid just for showing up will be adjusted downward uh 20% which is a big deal for a lot of artists um the other issue here is that uh they have I, I love this. I'm just trying to find it here. Um, oh, if the artist uh, cancels and is in breach of some sort of, of the contract with the promoter, that artist will pay the promoter two times, twice the artist's fee as a penalty. That's never been done. What, what would never. it usually have been? If you, if a singer has a sore, th- you know, if Bernard Sumner has a sore throat, can't do a gig, what would, what would generally happen for New well, Order, let's say? In, in that particular case, you would have cancellation insurance because of something that you can't uh, control. I mean, you know, band members are always getting sick. You know, the drummer is always running off with the singer's wife. Uh, the <laughs> guitarist is overdosing. I mean, these things happen all the time. <laughs> Uh, but if the, if, if this is something that's in breach of the contract, I mean, there, there are health things that are, that are covered by these cancellation insurances, but if there are things that result in the artist breaching the contract, they will have to pay live nation twice what they would have been paid, which again, has never been done. Um, another thing that's rather interesting is that if a show is canceled due to poor ticket sales, you, the artist will no longer get their hundred percent guarantee now when you book a gig when you book a band to play a gig it is incumbent on the promoter to make sure that you put as many bums in seats as you possibly can however for whatever reason and pandemic i'm looking at you Mm -hmm. if you can't if a show has to be canceled due to poor ticket sales the artist no longer gets the 100 percent guarantee offered up by the promoter you'll only get 25 percent of that guarantee which uh, kind of voids the entire word guarantee, doesn't it? Uh, and then there are some other issues. Um, so let me read this. If the promoter, either because of orders of the venue or any government entity, is not permitted to use the full capacity of the venue, then the promoter may terminate the agreement and artists will refund any money previously paid. So you book a gig and you can't go through with it because, let's say there's a pandemic, and the show has to be canceled, uh, then anything that's been paid to the artist will have to be refunded back to the promoter. Yeah. Now, I have about 60 seconds. If we get a break, we get a vaccine, and 2021, we're all back together again. Tell me how crowded you think the um, you know the, the venues will be, how crowded the touring schedules will be, because there'd be bands that wouldn't have gone out till then anyway. But as you note, almost everybody who had shows in 2020 didn't want to cancel. They're just they're changing the dates to 2021. Yeah, and I guess we're going to have to wait and see because there was a survey by the New York Times of epidemiologists last week about going to mass events, and most of them said not going anywhere until there's a virus. Sorry. And those are epidemiologists. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, no, I, I agree. There's, there's very little we're going to be able to do, but a lot of these artists now make their money via touring. A lot of the classic rock artists, they gotta be out there. A hundred journey, right? REO Speedwagon. They're not selling albums anymore. They've sold all the albums they're going to sell it, but they got to be out on the road, um, you know, to, to pay for the cars and the big houses with the pools. Right. Well, yeah, and that's exactly it. The royalty <laughs> checks will be getting smaller and smaller and, they're starting to feel the pinch. I mean, Elton John had to uh, furlough his entire crew. 
I can't imagine getting that furlough notice from Elton John and then looking up his net worth if I'm an employee of his. Might make me a... Uh, Alan, love talking to you. Uh, Have a good show Sunday night, and thanks very much for doing this for me. You bet, anytime. All right, Alan Cross, uh, CFNY, uh, The Edge, fantastic. Uh, That's really, really intriguing stuff uh, to me. But yeah, I'm I'm missing it more than I ever, ever thought I would. Uh, There's no question about it. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Believe it or not, today would have been, well, we'd be right in the middle of week two of the CFL season. Ticats would have played their home opener last weekend against Winnipeg, right? They're defending uh, an Eastern championship. They'll uh, <laughs> That Grey Cup didn't quite go uh, as planned, and they'd be playing their first road game in Toronto's BMO Field tomorrow night. We know that's not happening. We know there are plans for the NBA the NFL, NHL, MLS, college sports in the States, all plans to get back on track right now. We don't have one for the CFL. And the latest we know, um, this yesterday a statement came out. It's so funny, I asked my wife this. She covers sports for the Globe and Mail, and I said, is there any, what's the latest on that CFL bailout plan? We both kind of shrugged and thought, nothing. They made a case. Um, the case wasn't well received. They didn't know how much money they were going to give the players. It seemed somewhat disorganized, but Randy Ambrosi, the CFL commissioner yesterday, said he's taken a 20% pay cut, and another big thing was reaching out for the players. League wants to make a call soon, and they'll use public health, as any league will, to try and figure it all out. Uh, joining us in studio, longtime play-by-play voice of the Hamilton Tiger Cats, host of the fifth quarter, and uh, he joins us in stu- Rick Zamperin. I'll, I'll, you know, I've been dealing with this story, guy, but it's become patently obvious this week. Um, the straw that stirs the drink, the Reggie Jackson at CHML, is you. So take a bow on this Friday, really. You know, hit a patio early. I'm telling you to take some of the day off today. Well, truth be told, Greg, uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm off next week, so I'll be doing just that. I'll be I'll be on King William Street partaking in some of the restaurants that are reopening in <laughs> Hamilton on the street, literally on the street. Great to be on the show. Big fan of yours for years Thanks, uh, man. in Toronto. You're sounding great this week, and I know you're doing next week as well. So glad to be here. Thank you. Yeah. So tell me your observations of uh, of where we're at with the CFL. What was significant yesterday about what you heard from the commissioner, Rick? Well, you know what? This has been a giant pile of poop from the Canadian Football League and particularly from the commissioner. Listen, Randy Ambrosi is under fire and for good reason. This uh, whole scenario has been mishandled. He has literally fumbled the football a few times uh, this year and most particularly because there doesn't seem to be any cohesion or conversation uh, between the league and himself and the players. I know he's spoken about, hey, we gotta, we're got we all in this together. We want to work together. We have a common goal. Uh, we want to play this season. We need a huge cash infusion from the federal government. Um, but there isn't much substance after that. We mm-hmm. know that Randy Ambrosi was not joined by any members of the CFLPA when he initially went to the feds to say, hey, we need upwards of $150 million to get through to this season and perhaps parts of next season. Uh, and that was a big deterrent in Ottawa saying, eh, the players aren't even by your side at this point. How can we dive into this plan? There's been talk of revamping the CBA for this season because it's going to be a shortened season. We know that for a fact because games have already been missed. Ambrosi said, listen, the earliest we can start is September 
if at all. Um, so this is a, as I said, a, a giant pile of poop. Yeah, I, you know, you go back. I found the date, Rick. It's May seventh. The CFL uh, went in front of a House of Commons standing committee, again uh, a distanced committee. And you're right. They, like Randy Ambrosi goes up there, asks for money, and and they're, you know, they're they're they have excellent questions about money, just like you would have if you were going in for a bank loan. And they said, well, what do the players get? And and to paraphrase, he's basically like. You know, that's a good question. We haven't really thought of that. <laughs> like, you have to have that. You have to know you're getting asked what, what's what's for the players and what's for the owners, what's for the communities here, and, and that wasn't organized. There doesn't seem to be a plan, and so much so, you know, we heard earlier this week that front offices across the Canadian Football League are being forced to take a 20% pay cut. There was no conversation between the league offices and the teams to say this was being done. We also heard this week that back in April, the commissioner had voluntarily taken a 20% pay Cup, but that wasn't made known at the time. And I think mm-hmm. optically, that would have been the smart play for Mr. Ambrosi to say, listen, uh, we're in tough times right now. There's a big question mark hanging over 2020 in a variety of you know sectors of our, of our economy. I'm taking a 20% pay cut. Even at that time, that was not done. So the mismanagement from top to bottom has been quite clear. So this is a league, and I think mo- I think most listeners know this. Most diehard Tie Cats fans uh, know it. I I know I know what that team means to 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 your community. Most people know they can't play without fans. The TV deal, it's a decent TV deal, uh, and TSN's done a phenomenal job, you know, taking the league under its arms and and promoting it. They've used really good people. The coverage has been great. They always get great numbers for great cups, et cetera, et cetera. But the but the the dollars aren't there. It's not the NFL, and and I think you'd concur that this was always a no-brainer. You can't, even with distance fans, Rick, and even out west where the support is stronger, they couldn't, like the CHL, like so many leagues, you're not going to have junior hockey, and, and you can't have the CFL either without fans. 100%. This is... If there's ever a league that is gate-driven, it's the Canadian Football League. And yes, they have you know a pretty decent TV deal that pays a lot of the players' salaries and you know the league's expenses. But at the end of the day, they need people in the stadiums. And I know there's talk of you know playing games in hub cities, whether it's in Regina or Winnipeg or a combination of both. But without fans, without that revenue, without government dollars, mm-hmm. um, it's just not going to work. It just can't work. And I know that hey, if players play only nine games instead of eight. There's going to be prorated salaries, but at the end of the day, the dollars and cents still won't make sense, uh, and uh, they need that government cash in- infusion. And and really, publicly, there's not uh, a big appetite for that. People are out of work. They're working from home. They have reduced hours. They have bills to pay. There isn't. Uh, people don't have a stomach to pay pro athletes to play a game. Nobody questions the involvement, the enthusiasm of Bob Young for the Ticats. So I, I don't think Hamilton is necessarily a worry. But, you know, in your moments where, you know, again, you, you know the league as, as well as anyone, have you looked and said, if this, if, if we can't get a, a CFL that has fans until late in 21, maybe even 22, do we still have nine franchises, Rick? That's a great question. Uh, you know, as far as Hamilton is concerned, Bob Young has been a tremendous owner since saving the team in late 2003 in the in the bankrupt season. Uh, the Argos, I think, financially are safe, and that's kind of weird to say because MLSE owns the Argonauts, and we know MLSE is almost a company that is allowed to print money because of their, uh, you know, uh, uh, the the Maple Leafs and mm-hmm. and obviously the uh, the Raptors. Um, but you look at some of the other franchises. We know that Saskatchewan is quite healthy, but it's a community owned 
team. How much longer can the community continue to you know, support that franchise? Winnipeg, same story. BC is David Braley. He's looking to offload that team, and there's not going to be a buyer for that. Montreal is a new owner. Uh, you know, How long is that individual going to wait to see football come back? And he hasn't even seen his team play yet. So it's a great question. Uh, I'm not sure what the answer is, but uh, I don't think it's going to be a pretty one. If we're, if we're at this point next year and we're still not playing games and there's no fans in the stands, obviously, wow, that's going to be a big bill to swallow for the CFL. And we know Montreal, right? It's been a real mess. That you can't even recognize that franchise. They, get, they got that injection when they moved to play at McGill. What a great thing for the, that team and that, and that community to put the team there, get out of the big O. And Anthony Calvillo, all those great years there, but you can't even, like, it's got a lot of dysfunction. It's got a lot of frustration. And we know the demographics of Montreal uh, have changed considerably to where there's a lot of, and, and the younger the younger people as well for the CFL, it's a, it's a tough pull getting people 30, 35 to, to go to CFL games like it used to be. Very much so. And, and listen, if you don't have a winning product or an exciting product, that younger demo is not going to be attracted to whatever you're offering. And we've seen that in Toronto. Toronto. Yeah, they've had a winning product in time, but it's just not a buzz in the community, especially when you have the Leafs, the Raptors, mm-hmm. Toronto FC, the Blue Jays. There's so much to do in TO that the Argos have kind of fallen down that ladder. Let's go a big picture. I'm really curious to know from you. Um, I was saying to somebody yesterday, September, um, September could feature... NFL uh, with empty stadiums, but also NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, U.S. Open tennis, Masters golf, maybe baseball. A lot could be there. Um, there's a lot on that sports calendar, but I'm I don't know if you're with me. I am I, I am just mixed about sports coming back. I'm a huge sports fan. I've been around my whole life. So have you, but. I'm. I think I'm going to struggle with empty stadiums. I have so far, and I'm a big soccer fan. I. I. I I'm. I'm. Are people going to struggle watching? You know, a Leafs Blue Jackets game one. Will Will their attention wane over the weeks and days that uh, we're seeing sports played with no spectators? Yeah, I've talked about this with some friends uh, as well, and it, it's going to be different. It's going to be awkward because. When you're watching a hockey game or a basketball game or a football game, there's a certain buzz in the stadium. Even when you're watching on TV, there's that hum that you can kind of realize. And if you're in the stadium, obviously there's a lot more than that because you have those you know visual cues to, to tap into as well. But uh, yeah, I've watched Bundesliga games, Serie A, uh, you know uh, the the uh, uh, Liga La Liga in, in in Spain, and it's just different because the ambiance is gone. It's basically watching. Uh, or like watching a scrimmage between two teams. Yeah, they're competitive. They want to win, but the atmosphere is non-existent. And while we're you know starving for content, uh, and all that content hopefully is going to come at once, it is going to be a little odd to see no one in the facilities. And it actually is if you watch soccer. And the, mo- the yeah. more depressing thing is not hearing the crowd, which is, and I know some broadcasters in the U.S., if the NFL does come back, they're intimating, or at least they're suggesting or indicating that, do we pump in some crowd noise? Because that is an element that we need in our broadcasts. Well, you make a great point about the crowd. It's not just the gates involved and the money involved and the merchandise and the parking, but think about, let's let look at that Raptors run, Rick, last spring, and, and you'd say, you'd be watching TV, you'd be watching with your friends or your family, and you'd say, you know, if they can get their deficit to six... Uh, by going into the fourth quarter, the crowd will really help them. The crowd will be more into it. And we'll have none of that in Orlando for 
for the NBA playoff games. They're like they're, you just knew what the home advantage meant, especially at Scotiabank for the Raptors last spring. Yeah, it's and, and think about this, Jurassic Park. I mean, Jurassic Park yeah. will be non-existent. They might allow some people to watch on the big screen, but they'll be physically separated. So it's going to be not as raucous, not as entertaining, and they're watching the game outside the stadium. So, yeah, it's just going to be very weird. I know I know the bubbles have to exist for a reason. Player safety is obviously of the utmost importance, but it is just going to be a different kind of mindset when watching these sporting events because uh, a big element of what makes sports a lot of fun on TV is just not going to be there. CHML's own Rick Zamperin. I give you I give you a ton of credit because uh, there's some baseball guys that have been tweeting out like simulated results they're playing the schedule through. <laughs> so far on your Twitter account, you have not done that. You will no. not have a synopsis of a fantasy computer-generated Ty Cats Argos game tomorrow night. And I, I, I you're staying above that uh, above that level, and I respect that. It would just make me sad to do so. <laughs> To be honest, well, they needed to get off to a two and zero start. I mean, it's hard to make the playoffs in the CFL, as you well know. It's just not. It's just not the, that easy to qualify, right? And, 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 and hey, if they play only nine games, they better get off to a two and zero start. But we'll we'll talk about that in the fall, hopefully. Totally, and and we'll be that much closer to uh, finally the Grey Cup coming back. Uh, they can't mess with that. November twenty twenty one. We all got to be there uh, for that. Rick, loved having you on, man. Thanks a lot for doing it. You got it anytime. Uh, Rick Zamperin, uh, CHML's own. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. Hey, it's Craig Brady. Hope you enjoyed it. The Bill Kelly Show podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts from. Thank you again for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review. And I'll be back with another one tomorrow.